Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Without action, you can listen to podcasts and you can read books every day and you can look at buildings, but at some point you're going to have to push through that fear and get that education and take action to get the results that you want to get. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best ever listeners, welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Slocum Reed and today I'm joined by Mel and Dave Dupuis. They are based in North Bay, Ontario. They are real estate investors and mentors with the Action family. They buy properties using none of their own money and without joint venture partners as well. Their current portfolio consists of over 240 units solely owned in five countries. All those units are residential and commercial multifamily. Mel and Dave, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what you're currently focused on? Thank you so much for having us on your show. So yes, Dave and I, we're full-time real estate investors. We're a couple. And yeah, you're bang on. We specialize in buying properties using none of our own money and, and no joint venture partners. A bit of history about us. We started slowly getting to real estate the traditional way using our own funds. And we realized that we'd never be able to achieve our goals of quitting our jobs and having more time with our kids. But then once we got into creative financing and the strategies that we use, that's when we were able to buy 12 properties in 12 months. And then from there, continue to grow and now expanding in different countries. Nice. So I have the feeling you guys have been on a few podcasts before. We have a fairly sophisticated audience for the Best Ever podcast. So I would like to jump through a couple of hoops here, make some assumptions, let you tell me where I'm wrong, and then we can direct the conversation from there. First, I want to ask five countries, which countries are they? Canada, U.S., Costa Rica, Mexico, and Dominican Republic for now. Nice. So when I hear none of our own money, no joint venture partners, everything solely owned, where that takes me, Mel and Dave, is a business model where you're finding properties that allow the opportunity to force appreciation, ideally. I would say if you didn't name those Latin American countries, I would have just assumed that this was 100% correct. 
but you find op- properties that give you the opportunity to force appreciation. Instead of raising capital partners or joint venture partners, you raise debt from private investors, which gives you the opportunity to have the capital to make the acquisition and whatever renovations are required. But also because it's structured as debt, it gives you the opportunity to either sell or refinance them out of the property, leaving you with sole ownership when you get to the point of more traditional financing. How far off base am I? You're bang on. on. Essentially, with the private lenders, when it comes to that, there's essentially three different ways that we're doing it. We're either using secured funds like 401k for those listeners in the States or RSPs in Canada. We use promissory notes as well. And we do a lot of owner financing, which is the same as seller financing or vendor take backs. Secured funds, promissory notes, owner financing. That makes a lot of sense. I know that a lot of our listeners will be familiar with strategies like yours. I've done it a few times as well. Although I've done it primarily with Jordan Venture Partners, I will say, and only locally here in Cincinnati, Ohio. What kind of more traditional lending options are available to you in Costa Rica, Mexico, and the Dominican Republic? Are you solely focused on owner financed opportunities there? Or are you finding banks that are doing something like a cash out refinance? Yeah, great question. And you were bang on, yeah, with the other financing that you described for Costa Rica, Mexico, Dominican. I'll kind of isolate Mexico and Dominican. So there's not really any sources of financing that we have not found for U.S. citizens or for Canadian citizens. So that one, the model is still using other people's money. And for example, buying two, three assets, forcing the appreciation, just like you said, but then liquidating them and having enough money left over to remain with one. So it's using other people's money, but not necessarily debt. It's paying something out completely outright, which is not our North American model. Costa Rica, there is financing there. It is a bit lower. It's like 60, 65% loan to value, which some investors might go, that's normal, but some people are more familiar with the 70 or the 80. So it's still other people's money, no JVs. The other way that we do as well is we're currently negotiating one just north of Tamarindo in Costa Rica, where we're kind of doing almost a subject to or like a wrap type mortgage, where after a year, once we've improved it, we'll be able to sell it, but that the owner will still own it that whole time. So, and I know it's obviously happens in Canada and the US, but a little bit more traditional stuff in Costa Rica as opposed to Dominican and Mexico, in our experience anyway. Why is it that you are operating in those Latin American countries? Well, I'll go first. Really to diversify our portfolio is definitely one of the main reasons. Dave and I, we love traveling. We travel a lot together and, and with our children as well. And just being able to travel and check up on our properties once in a while as well. And the opportunities as well. So number one, having a diversified portfolio in different countries from a risk point of view. And the opportunity as well, being able to travel and go to those locations. It's a great excuse to have to travel as well. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. And there are certainly vacation destinations within all three of those countries. What is it that you're buying in... Costa Rica, Mexico, and the DR? Mostly, well, they call them casas there. So for example, in Costa Rica, we've had townhouses, four-bedroom townhouse, condo, a casa, which is a house as well. In DR, in Punta Cana, it's two penthouses. 
And then Tula, Mexico is more like a condo. So it's opposite of what we do in Canada and the U.S. with our multifamily, and it's more short-term rental. We still underwrite it with long-term rentals, but it's more short-term rentals, smaller residential. It's easy to get excited or to generate excitement about this style of investing, especially where you're doing it, using other people's money, being able to invest in vacation destinations, some of them international. Taking a step back from that, why is it that this is the way that you all have chosen to engage in real estate investing? You said you started with your own money, like quote unquote normal real estate investors do. Why is it that you shifted to a focus on investing with other people's money? And then why is it that you have moved into such a breadth of markets and even countries? Yeah, great question. Honestly, it was our why. It came down to our why. We both knew that with real estate, there was a way to become wealthy through real estate. And we started doing so the traditional way. But then we hit the common roadblock after buying a couple properties that we were running out of money. So we did what we thought was the best thing to do. And we got to work and we worked lots of jobs. We're both working three jobs. And then it was the same thing that we're working all the time. We're training our time for money and we're barely getting any closer to getting to retirement or quitting our jobs. And once we learned about creative financing and we realized that we were doing it all wrong, we're working all the time as opposed to getting our money to work for us, that was a game changer. So it really came down to wanting to spend more time with each other, with the kids as well, have that flexibility in our schedule. So that's when we really got into the creative financing. And as for different countries, I'm not going to lie, that came after a while. So I definitely had fear. Both of us had fear around yeah. going outside of our area, outside of our comfort zone. And as soon as we changed our thoughts and our mindset and with proper coaching, of course, and the right connections, then we decided, why are we not doing this? There's so much opportunity in doing so. Did I miss something? Anything else you want to add there, Dave? Traditional <laughs> and it was like adding jet fuel. When you start using creative financing and other people's money, it just excels your portfolio. And I'm so glad we did, right? Because at first using our own money, then I got to a point that I didn't want to be at work anymore. And, and I knew that I had a bad car crash and I knew I didn't want to go back to work. I was off with a concussion and real estate gave me the freedom to actually quit my full-time job in that moment when I needed to. So I was so grateful looking back that I pushed through that initial fear, did it then. So that way down the road, I had the financial freedom to be able to make that choice of leaving the job. And then Dave quit his firefighter job shortly afterwards. Mel, Dave, it's really easy to make this sort of transition sound very natural and fluid and no brainer, if I can put it that way. And while I don't want to spend the rest of this interview talking about all of the potential risks that we take on by expanding a portfolio by a significant amount by taking on other people's money. The risk involved in using other people's money, the responsibility and trust involved in that, as well in the raising private money space. You've mentioned a couple of things that hint at answers to these questions already. I'm looking for the places where your story or where you were is relatable to me and to our listeners. A big shift in investing strategy typically comes from one or both of these things, a shift in goals or a new understanding about an investor's goals or a new understanding of an opportunity. 
that was not present or was not understood beforehand. Specifically, when talking about the more conventional style of investing, we have capital, we deploy it into real estate for a return. Transitioning from that to where you are now, thinking back to when you were making the leap, feel free to just tell me I'm completely wrong here and give me the real answer. But what were the goals and or the opportunities that you all were seeing in that moment? So the goals, again, like Mel had mentioned, and I like that you said what changed. So obviously before we started using other people's money was, it's going to sound cheesy and cliche, but we read Rich Dad, Poor Dad in 2016. Like so many people have said before, right? That's why I say it is cliche, but it did change our mindset. And as soon as we read it, rule number one, the rich don't work for money, right? So we immediately stopped working our two other jobs. Stop taking overtime. Our goal shift. Dave, literally, like I remember we're in Florida listening to the book and everything changed. Like that moment you were looking for, that definitely was that moment. Yeah, Dave called Chief and said, I'm no longer taking any overtime. He's like, what? You're the overtime king. <laughs> Take me off the OT list. Yeah. I almost fell out of his chair. So just things like that. And obviously that book doesn't necessarily teach you how to do creative financing, but it opens your mindset. So that was the big game changer. And then 2017, like Mel had mentioned earlier, that's when we did 12 properties in 12 months for 56 units. Yeah. And how we got through that process, obviously mindset was part of it. Obviously education, we met with those because we had heard about this creative financing, but we thought it was illegal. We weren't even sure. So we met with those who were successful at doing this, but also those who weren't successful and we found that the one common thing they had in common was the exit strategy. You kind of mentioned that a little bit here as well, that you're going to be boring somebody's money. And of course, that was my fear, not only growing my own portfolio, but boring somebody's funds. How am I going to be able to pay them back? And if I'm going to borrow, whether it's a dollar or a hundred thousand or a million from somebody, I need to know how I'm going to pay them back before I enter the deal. And that's how we really made sure to start analyzing our deals and having the build an exit strategy. And of course, never touching anybody's money unless I had a really, really clear exit strategy, which of course all came down to numbers. We're recording in the second half of 2023. For those of us, you, me, and most of our listeners who have been engaged in real estate investing in some capacity for the last few years, it's easy in hindsight now to look back at 2016, 17, 18, and recognize how much opportunity there was to acquire good deals. Second half of 2023, what kinds of properties are you looking for and where are you finding good deals right now? Yeah, and I like that you said that because it's true, hindsight 2020 and it looks easy and, and five years from now, we'll be going 2023. Oh man, it was easy. So I like right, that well, we that. will all know exactly what was going on in the second half of 2023, for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but honestly, we're still looking, we're still doing deals in those three the short-term rental markets. Again, that's a whole different play. Still looking, Texas and Florida, still purchasing in Canada. What we're leaning into is a lot of more seller financing and registered funds. As fun as seller financing deals, some people are still looking at getting, and every market's different, right? I'm just talking in general, but people that are still looking for a little bit of higher prices like we had in 2021 or early 2022, we're able to offer that we will take that purchase price knowing that we've given ourselves a long enough runway. Like Mel said with the exit strategy, building out a runway for three to five years from now with the exit, knowing that the rates will have most likely gone down, which five years from now we'll know, right? So building those types of opportunities out and with the registered funds, people getting spooked with the stock market and that. So 
that's where we're seeing the opportunity slope them. And that's kind of what we're, we're capitalizing on. Well, I think a big part of it as well is looking at a lot of deals and by being open to going in different areas and investing where returns are best, you're naturally doing that. Working with investor focused agents is what we do as well. Finding off market deals as well. So that way we're looking at a lot of deals every single week. So we can really pick the ones that have that best cash flow or the ones that are going to really appreciate over time. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Ever wonder how much of your personal data is out there on the internet for anyone to see? The answer is more than you think. Government records, social media posts, even your self-reported info, it's all being compiled by data brokers and sold to the highest bidders online. Anyone on the web can get your private details. This can lead to a higher risk of identity theft, phishing attempts, harassment, and unwanted spam calls. I hate those spam calls. Well, I recently found a solution, and this is a new service called Delete Me. When I registered with Delete Me, they reviewed nearly 1,500 online listings and found more than 40 data brokers that had my personal info, my address, social security number, even info about my relatives. It's creepy stuff. Right at this moment, Delete Me is working to remove my information from those listings so I can take back control of my personal info and have a peace of mind I deserve and you deserve. Delete Me is on a mission to safeguard your privacy, and right now you can get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash Joe. Use promo code Joe. Only way to get your 20% off is to go to joindeletemecom slash Joe. Enter promo code Joe at checkout. That's joindeletemecom slash Joe. Promo code Joe. Stay safe out there. Deciding how to invest your capital is more challenging than ever. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company with a solid track record and that has thrived through various economic cycles. Companies like BAM Capital. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator that has delivered a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has never missed a preferred payment, never lost an LP's investment, and never called capital past the subscription amount. I'm hearing two answers to the question of where are opportunities right now. That at least two answers that I want to drill into. One of them is that you're seeing that people with registered funds, funds already sitting inside retirement accounts, you are seeing that those people are currently more interested in finding investment opportunities like investing in your deals? Yes, correct. Where is that change in sentiment coming from that has these people more interested in deals like yours? Okay, two different conversations that I'm having with those individuals are, and I'm not a stock guy, so I can't pretend to know I don't follow stocks at all, but they, I'm just reiterating what they say. They're tired of the ups and downs, and I know that there's rallies and all that. So they're tired of that. They just want a steady income in real estate. And what I love about registered funds is we typically do a longer term, like a three to five year term instead of a six month to a one year with a promissory note. And they're happy because they set and forget and they know they're getting a guaranteed return that's backed up with, with the deal that they've approved that you've showed them. So I'm seeing that. The other thing I'm seeing is a little bit of FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. They all saw OMG, the market went up so much in 2020, 2021. There might be a little dip now. The interest rates are going up. But they don't want to miss out on it again. So they're investing in real estate. They know it's going to continue to go up over time. So that's what I'm getting from people that I'm speaking with, investors that are investing. Yeah, I agree. I think people know that real estate always goes up in value over time. Yes, there's fluctuations. And although they may not want to be doing what Dave and I are doing or other investors are doing, they still see the value of investing their money in 
real estate. And this is a really great way for them to have a little bit more control over their hard earned money. I can't quite let you off the hook right there though, because you're not bringing on joint venture partners. So these are not investors who are going to own real estate. They're going to own loans that they're making to you. How is it that you make sure you're making those loans compelling right now? So depending on what interest rate they're currently receiving, it would absolutely have to be higher than what they're receiving. Otherwise, nobody would want to invest with us. So it depends on the deal. So most importantly, I need to find the right deal in order to be able to do that. Some deals I would not be able to use somebody's 401k. Maybe owner financing would be better because I can negotiate a better interest rate. But there's definitely some deals out there where I can negotiate because I know that I have some more flexibility within my deal and really make it a win-win. And we're big on that. I want to win. I want to make a lot of money, of course, and all that. But I also want my lenders in whichever form they come in, owner financing or secured funds or promissory note to also make some great money, some great return on their investment, because then it's that domino effect that happens because we've had a lot of lenders that's been with us for many, many years now because they know, like, and trust us. They know that we pay them back and then we do it all over again. What is the range of interest rates that you're offering currently? on the loans that are being made to you for your acquisitions? Great question. And that's something we get a lot. It'll all depend. I don't want to say on this. Well, I guess on the security. So if it's a first mortgage up to what loan to value, a second mortgage up to what loan to value. And you know that. And I know the listeners. Yeah, I will say, and that's why I asked for a range. I'm sure that there's a variety of risk involved and, and some people have different appetite for different risk. Like you said, being in first lien position or second lien position. Generally speaking, the lowest risk loans that you're writing, what kind of interest rate are you offering? And then on the higher risk stuff, what are you offering? Oh, yeah. Okay. So I'm glad you said that. Typically, before we used to see 8%, we're seeing more of the double digits now, 9, 11. Some of the second mortgages, we're seeing 12, 15. And again, like Mel had said, not every deal is going to make sense. And you know that's look home. So it's really making sure, hey, if I'm going to take this on, I've done promissory, well, I say that. Mel and I have done promissory notes before, 18%, 20%. And some people fall off their chairs and go, have you lost it? Are you insane? It wasn't for any deal. <laughs> we looked at a lot of deals and found some that we knew would make that us made, hundreds of thousands. Yeah. So exactly. they totally. made sense. Yeah. So I know you get it, but for some of the listeners or for your listeners out there that you're saying, what, you're paying 12 points. Well, that was us before. We used to think, I'm never spending extra money. Are you kidding me? But it's a bigger picture. It's, yeah. So is it more expensive? Yes, but... At the end of the day, if you're able to acquire assets using creative financing and, and have, like Mel said, the solid exit strategy, if you're going to make 100 k on a deal and you got to pay someone 15 points, it is what it is, right? It's the, what would you rather? So I'm glad you asked that. So that's something my, that we get people all the time, right? The, the percentage is all they care about. There are some people who are like that. And I will say specific to the best ever audience, there are going to be more lenders than borrowers listening to this. And so, yes, there are a lot of people who ask the question, why would you ever pay that much interest? Show them the numbers on the deal and hopefully they understand it. If they don't understand, you're speaking to the wrong audience. But also as a lender, the numbers that you're saying make sense. The 9 to 11% and then higher if they have to take second position, that sounds fairly standard to the market right now, the people that I have these kinds of conversations with. So thank you for sharing those numbers. Appreciate it. Last question before we transition into the last stage of this podcast. Geographically speaking, where is it that you're finding the best opportunities right now? And what is it that are making those the right opportunities for you? We like in Canada, we like out in Alberta, out west. It's kind of like the Texas of Canada. 
We're liking Texas as well, Northern Texas. You can still find some deals for eight, nine, ten cap rate range that is like 60, 65, 70, 75,000 a door. It's landlord friendly as well, which of course helps your overall numbers. I like Florida as well. We're looking at Jacksonville, Tallahassee. So honestly, it's the secondary tertiary markets that we like, the higher cap rate ones. Typically, it has more cash flow. And yeah, that's kind of what we're doing. Focusing on secondary and tertiary markets in Canada, where you can still buy for an 8 to a 10 cap at around 65000 a door, and then some markets in Florida. Yeah, and Texas as well. And then still doing the Costa Rica, Mexico, Dominican, which again, is a completely different play with, with some of the flipping and short-term rentals. But that's kind of our focus as we continue. The Latin American deals are much more fun and a very different beast. The places where you're focusing Canada and the United States, why is it that those are the markets that appeal to you right now? That's what we did in Ontario, right? Northern Ontario is high cap rates as population continues to migrate more into them. We just see the prices continue to go up. It's just they cash flow higher and we're going to keep them in our portfolio for 20, 30 years. So it's just worked for us before. So doing the same thing, again, now more focused in, in more landlord-friendly states and provinces. Because we're in Ontario, Canada, where it's very, very tenant and, and it has shifted throughout the years. And as investors, of course, pivot. you have to pivot, right? Or, well, you don't have to, but you may choose to want to pivot as well, um, especially once we have the comfort level of doing it more locally here, basically doing the same thing, just in different areas as well. That makes a lot of sense. Are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure are. Let's go. <laughs> what is the best ever book that you recently read? The one we're reading together right now, Keith Cunningham. It's uh, insanely good business. Or I forget what it's called, but we're, we're in like page 20. So that's the one we're currently reading right now. We're not too far in, so I don't want to say too much, but that's the one that we're tackling right now. What is your best ever way to give back? I'll share a personal story on my side. My parents have always been there for me. And last year was their 50th wedding anniversary. And I know that they wouldn't have been able to do this on their own. So we actually gave them a trip, all paid, all inclusive for an entire month to Costa Rica in one of our places so they can celebrate their 50th anniversary. So that would be one of my personal little ones. <laughs> Mel, Dave, this one's a little more specific. On deals you've done, properties that you have acquired, what is the biggest mistake you've made and the best ever lesson that resulted from it? Oh my gosh, only one? We've had a lot of mistakes throughout our journey, but probably our business structure is what I would say for myself. Anyhow, when we first got started, just trying to get ahead and growing quickly and, and we, we had everything personally owned. And then we realized that it came with a, a lot of risk and all that. So we had to reset our entire corporations and everything as well. So our business structure. So it cost us hundreds of thousands of dollars at one mistake alone to shift everything back. So it was a big one. What about a mistake specific to a property that you acquired? I would say specifically, and I, not reading the contract or taking someone's word for it. Specifically, read the verbiage, read the language, make sure you understand it if you don't get clarification. I'm trying to think the one most recently we had that kind of nipped us in. It was how it was perceived, right? Again, it was supposed to be for the benefit of the seller, but it was for the benefit of the buyer and it's just things like that. Contracts matter. Ask your attorneys, ask people what it, what it means. And that's something, again, a couple of words can mean a lot of different things. And what is your best ever advice? Well, it'd be action. <laughs> action changed my life. Without action, I just would not be where we are today. That's why we call it the Action Family Program, where we teach students on how to do this as well. 
without action, you can listen to podcasts and you can read books every day and you can look at buildings, but at some point you're going to have to push through that fear and get that education and take action to get the results that you want to get. Last question. Where can people get in touch with you? Yes. Well, we're all over social media. So it's always Investor Mel and Dave. So we're on YouTube, we're on Instagram, on Facebook. If you search for us, it's Investor Mel and Dave. And I'll actually be able to give the audience a free copy of a mastermind where we actually analyze some deals. And if you're a visual learner like I am, I'll be able to give you some clips where you'll be able to actually see the way that we do these types of deals. Nice. Well, Mel, Dave, thank you. Best ever listeners, thank you as well for tuning in. If you've gained value from our episode today, please do subscribe to our show. Leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend you know we can add value to through our conversation today. Thank you and have a best ever day. Thanks so much. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access. And you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.